working on an upcoming sermon series on the book of Leviticus. Uh, I know a lot of times when you read through the Bible, that's the book where you either give up or skip or it's, it's just not a lot laying there on the surface for us, but it's a very important book. You know, the Bible says that all scripture is profitable and is all inspired. And so I've been working on this sermon series. And as I thought about preparing that, I thought it might be helpful first to go to the New Testament and look at some of the New Testament passages that teach us about uh, holiness, which is, after all, the theme of the book of Leviticus. The message of the book of Leviticus is that God is holy and he's calling us to be holy. It's the message of the book of Leviticus. Sometimes you can miss that and get, get lost in all the details, but that's the message. God is holy. He's calling us to be holy. So holiness in the Bible is in two aspects. Holiness involves first being set aside. So, for example, in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle, there were, there were items that were set aside only to be used in the temple for worship of God. And so they were, they were, they were holy in that sense. God also wants us to be holy in that sense. He has, he has set us aside for his service and to build his kingdom. He's set us aside to be his ambassadors in the world. He's, he's set us aside to be focused on him and the pursuit of the love of him as our passion in this world. So, so God is calling us to holiness in this sense. The second sense of holiness involves moral purity. And so when you think about the moral purity, moral purity means to be like God. God is completely pure. The morals that he gives us are based on his character. So becoming holy in this sense is the process that we call sanctification. Now, a lot of people get, get confused about this idea of, of sanctification and justification. What's, what's the difference? And do, do those words even, even matter? Well, you know, I, I try not to throw out theological terms, but those are biblical terms. They're straight out of the Bible. The Bible uses the word justified. The Bible uses the word sanctified. So it's important for us to understand what it's talking about and what it means. And so sometimes people get confused about this idea of how do we get saved? And how does works relate to that? And I think where this confusion comes from is whenever we confuse these two things of sanctification and justification. And it's, it's sort of like this. I got three girls. At the moment that those girls were conceived, each one of them became my daughter. That's, that's, their, that's their relationship to me. That's their, that's their status. They're, they're my daughters. They'll always be my daughters. Now, that doesn't mean they always do what I want them to do, though, right? Are they... They, they, they came out pretty good, but they didn't come out perfect. They, they had to be trained, you know, as they, as they grew. And they were children. We had to give them direction. And so we, we took them to church. We read the Bible to them. We explained things. We set boundaries. When they crossed those boundaries, we punished them to motivate them to get back inside those boundaries. That's, that's training up a child. And so they had to grow into the person that we were trying to, to, to get them to be. The same is true with our relationship with God. There's, there's a time in our life when we believe and ask for forgiveness and we become justified. That is, we are, we are made right with God and God brings us into his family. And so that's our relationships that we're his child. The Bible describes us as children of God. 
But just like our children that need to be trained up and raised, if you will, God wants to train us up and he wants us to conform us into the image of his son. And what that means is that he wants to make us like Jesus, that our thoughts are like his thoughts, our heart, our desires are like his desires so that he is loving and merciful. And so as we grow up in our faith, we become loving and merciful. We become like him. This is the process of sanctification. And so we don't do these things in order to be saved. We do these things because we are saved. Jesus told a story. We looked at it Wednesday night. A few of you were here on Wednesday night. We looked at this passage of two people who went in the temple to pray. And Jesus said one went in to pray. And, and basically when he went in to pray, he gave a little speech about himself. He prayed and he said, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. And then he identified a few people. And then he says, or even like this man. He identified another man who was a tax collector. But the Bible says that that tax collector stood in the back and he wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. But he said, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Now here's what Jesus said about those two men. He says, that man, the man that asked for mercy, he says, that man went home, and, and here's the word, justified, justified. Doesn't mean that he was all that God wanted him to be. It doesn't mean that God was finished working on that man. But it means that because he had asked for forgiveness and sincerity and belief, God had forgiven his sin and he was now in a right relationship. He had been brought into the kingdom of God. He is now a child of God. But God still wants to grow him up in the faith. And the same is true about all of us. None of us have yet arrived. Even the apostle Paul said that he said, I've not yet attained it. So he, was, he had not gotten there either. And none of us will on this earth because we still have our old sinful nature and it's a lifelong journey of us putting to death that old sinful nature and taking on the new self and becoming like Jesus. So a lot of people see imperfections in a Christian's life and they see it as evidence that Christianity is not real. They'll say, I, I don't go to church today because there, do you know what there are in church today why people don't come? You can say it out loud. I know half of you know. Hypocrites. That's what they say. I don't go to church because they're hypocrites in the church. Now, what they mean by that is they saw somebody one time who claimed to be a Christian, and then they saw them do something wrong, and so they thought, therefore, that person is just a hypocrite. Now, there are a few hypocrites, people that are just absolutely faking it, but most of the time what they're talking about is people that they have discovered a flaw and realized that person is not perfect, so obviously they're not really a Christian. They're just a hypocrite. They're claiming to be perfect, but they're not. Well, that person doesn't understand what it means to follow Christ. We're not claiming to be perfect. We're claiming to be forgiven. And the goal of Christian life is that we're, we're growing and we're transforming. So when I'm saved, I, I don't get up and say, hey, I used to be really bad, but now I'm perfect. But we can say, thank God I'm not who I used to be. And if we continue to grow in our faith, even as mature believers, we can hopefully say, thank God I'm not even what I was last year. Because as God begins to speak to us and convict us about things, we change areas of our life. And we slowly just become more and more conformed to the image of his son. 
So the more we grow in our faith, the more we're like him. The more we think like him, the more we act like him. And the more that we share his heart's desires toward other people. And this is the process of sanctification, being made holy. And what happens is, is that as we become more like him and we're transformed, our behavior changes and people see it and people see the new self. And hopefully people are going to look at your life and say, man, the new person is so much different from the old person. There must be something to this. Bible says, after all, you shall know them by their fruit. That is what they produce. So when we're talking about justification, that, that happens at a point when we come to faith and we're forgiven and we're, we're now a child of God. But sanctification is the process of, of growing in our faith and becoming more like Christ. And so in Romans chapter six, where we're at today, this is what Paul is, is explaining. In the first part of Romans, he explained this process of justification. And now he begins talking about sanctification. That is becoming holy, becoming like, like Christ. And so, so with that understanding of the scripture today, I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read it? Romans chapter one, or chapter six, excuse me. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 14. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to understand this passage, help us to come to know what it means to be under grace. I pray today for any person the Lord has never been justified. I pray today before this service ends, they might call upon you in prayer and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Lord, guide us through this entire message. For it's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul teaches us here in this passage that we have been saved for a purpose, that we have been saved to walk in, in newness of life. That is, we've been saved so that we can be a new person. So this is God's desire for us. 
And so he begins by explaining that some people misunderstand grace and abuse it. And so he says in this passage here in verse one, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by, by no means? So you say, so pastor, if, uh, if, we're not for, if we're not saved because of doing good, but we're saved instead at a particular point when we ask for forgiveness and, and it's just by grace, then, then what difference does it make what we do? Well, it makes a difference because God's purpose for our life is to transform us into the image of his son. And, and, and grace is not a license for us to sin. Some people say, well, you know, Pastor, if, if I'm going to be able to confess and everything's going forgiven, then why, what does it matter what I do during the week? I'll just, I'll just do whatever I want to during the week. I have a great time. And then uh, Sunday before church, I'll say a prayer and I'll say, God, you know, you know what I've done all week. Uh, please forgive me. And because God's gracious, he'll forgive me. And I can have all the benefits with none of the sacrifice. And other people might even take the argument a step farther, which is what Paul is talking about here and say, well, so if, if when I am forgiven, God is glorified because he demonstrates how gracious he is to forgive somebody like me. Well, then really, the more I sin, the more opportunity I give God to be glorified. So I really bring glory to God by my, by my sin. So, so why don't I just do all kinds of stuff and then I'll be able to get up and say, y'all know how I've lived all week and yet God has forgiven me. What a great trophy to grace I am. And so Paul is heading off all of that when he says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Using grace as a license to sin, see, it contradicts the status change that we experienced when we were justified. That is when we came from death to life. The time in our life when we not just believed that Jesus existed, but whenever we expressed our desire to live for him. The Bible calls this repentance, and it just means to turn around. And so Paul says... How can we who died to sin still live in it? And see, our salvation should result in a radically different life. Meaning, the person who is following Christ should be completely different from the person that they were before they were following Christ. So he begins to talk about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And, and it's important to understand here that Paul is going to shift back and forth between talking about the literal death of Christ and the symbolism of us being baptized. He's going to shift back and forth between the literal resurrection of Christ and the change that takes place in our life when we put to death the old self and rise to walk in, in newness of life. So he's, he's using something we're quite familiar with at this point, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to illustrate and talk about something that some of us still need to get a little more familiar with, putting to death the old self and rising to walk in newness of life. And so he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says Christ died, he was buried, and then he was resurrected. And in the same way, when we come to faith in Christ and are, are, are baptized into him, we put to death the old self and we rise to be, to be a new self. Now, a lot of people today think that it really doesn't matter how you're baptized. Someone just a couple of weeks ago said, now, why do you guys make such a big deal about people getting baptized by immersion? This is one of the reasons. Because the Bible says, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of what Christ did for us. It's a picture that he died, was buried, and was resurrected. It's a picture also of what he's doing in us. He, he's made it possible for us to put to death the old self and rise to walk in, in newness of life. You can't symbolize that through sprinkling. That's one of the reasons that we baptize by immersion, going under the water and coming up out of the water because we symbolize that Christ was buried and then he rose from the dead. Another reason we don't baptize by sprinkling is you won't find anybody in the Bible who was sprinkled and you won't find anybody in the Bible that was baptized as a, an infant either. Even Jesus himself, who was baptized for an example, was almost 30 years old when he was baptized as an adult. So Paul is using this baptism to talk about the symbolism of the change in our life. That we put to death the old person and we rise to walk in the newness of life. So as we begin to understand what God is doing for us, then we have to consider ourselves in a whole different light. We look at ourselves from a different perspective. And so we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So look at what it says in verses 5 through 11. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so what Paul is saying is that if we've truly been justified, that, that is, we've come to believe and we have been buried with him in baptism, when Jesus was risen from the dead, we too are going to rise to newness of life. What Paul is saying is that we don't do better in order to be saved. We do better because we are saved. We don't do good works in order to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. If Christ has radically changed us, then it should be evident in, in, a, in a different life. If you're the same person today that you were before you were baptized, you may have only gotten wet. Baptism is just a symbol of an inner reality of accepting Christ and being changed. And if there's no change, there may have never been any acceptance of Christ. If we were united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse six, notice what he says. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, so the Bible teaches us here about the old self and the, the, the sinful nature that, that we all have. Following Christ involves putting that away. 
It, it involves crowding it out in your life and instead becoming a new person. So listen to some of the other passages the Bible speaks about the old self and the old nature. Ephesians 4.22, here's what he says. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed, that, that is to, to, to be made new, to be a new person, to walk in newness of life, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. And here's what the new self looks like. Listen to this. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self, the new you, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus. The new self thinks like Jesus. The new self loves like Jesus. And thinking and loving like Jesus will ultimately lead you to acting like Jesus. The new self means to be made new, to be made in the image of our, of our creator after the likeness of, of God. So this new person is a person that's been transformed into the image of Christ. Colossians 3, 9 speaks about the same thing. It says, do not lie to one another, talk, talking about Christians, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, so, so the reason that, that in Colossians, Paul tells them, don't lie to one another is because that's, that was the old self. That was the old you. That was before you came to faith in Christ. You used, used to lie. You used to manipulate people. It used to be a phony. You used to do all these things, but that's the old you. Now that we put on the new self, then we, we don't do those things anymore. We, we put that away and we put that to rest. He says in verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed. See, there, there's that word again, same thing. The new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, now do you notice that that's present tense ongoing? It doesn't say the new self that has been renewed in the image, but the new self which is being renewed. It's, it's an ongoing process. None of us have completely gotten there yet. This involves every day allowing God to speak to us and convince us about things and every day putting to death things that we discover are in contradiction to who Christ is. And so as you begin to grow in your faith and you hear from God, You'll, you'll discover things in your life that, that need to be transformed that you, you just never even, never even thought about before. And so, sometimes God convicts me about things that 10 years ago, I never would even cross my mind that it was a sin, never even thought about it. But as God convicts me about different things and I grow, God shows me new things that I need to change to be transformed to his image. It's an ongoing process. Justification takes place in a moment, but sanctification is for the rest of our life. My children were conceived in a moment. They came out of the womb in a moment, but they grew and they're being trained and they're still being transformed into adults that they'll someday be. Same thing in following Christ. There's a moment, there's a point that we come to faith and we pray and we ask God for forgiveness. And when we come and we ask for forgiveness in sincerity and belief with a desire to follow God, in that like that, in that moment, we become a child of God. We pass from death to life. In that moment, we become heirs of the kingdom. And that is our standing and our relationship with God. 
But sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like him as we change who we are to become transformed to the image of his son. So verse five, or Galatians 5, 24, it says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with his passions and desires. So what, is it, what does it mean to follow Christ? It means that we put to death the old self and we embrace the new self. It means that we change the things in our life that are in contradiction to who God is. Verse 11, I want you to notice what it says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Notice the word consider yourselves. That, that's your perspective about yourself, about who you are. Who am I in Christ? Well, I'm a person that is dead to sin and alive to God. Meaning, I don't have to wallow in sin any longer. I have the opportunity and the freedom to follow Christ. And so, what's the role of grace in all of this? Well, grace, grace is something that we use to serve God, not to sin. You remember how Paul opened this section? He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So, so grace is not to enable me to sin. The point of grace is to enable me to seek after the image and character of Jesus himself. Now listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The Bible doesn't say here that we're to be sin free. None of us are without sin. And some of us may be ignorant enough to think that we're without sin, but none of us are without sin. The apostle John said to the church, he said, if we say that we are without sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. None of us are yet without sin. We may not commit the sins that we used to commit. And that's, that's evidence of sanctification, but we are not yet without sin. The issue is not being in a state of sinless perfection, which you and I will not achieve this side of heaven. The issue is not being in a state of sinless perfection. The issue is who's in charge. The issue is, am I going to let my old sinful nature be in charge so that every time it has a whim or desire, I'm going to give in to it and I'm going to yield to it. I'm going to sin against God. Or am I going to let Christ be in charge so that in everything I do, I ask, what, what would the Lord want me to do in this moment? As I read scripture and I see something I've never saw before, I, I realize, well, I've got to think differently because now I understand this is what, this is what Christ thinks about this. It, it means that as I'm sitting and listening to God's word preached, and the Holy Spirit begins to, to prick my heart about something that I did this week that I thought. It means that if I'm going to let him reign, I say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to think, wherever you want me to go, I'm your servant. 
That's what it means to let Christ reign in our life. The reason that we talk about accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord is because although they go hand in hand, they're two different things. We accept Christ as our Savior and become justified before God. But accepting Christ as our Lord is a daily practice of saying, Jesus, I'm going to let you be in charge today. Now, Maybe think, Pastor, I've already tried this. I've tried it a bunch of times. And, and, and I can't do it. That's where grace comes in. That, that's the proper use of grace. So notice what he says in this last verse. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under Grace. When it says that we're not under the law, that doesn't mean that we're free to break God's moral law. It means that we're not under the contract or the covenant of being saved under the law. The, the contract of the law, and I use the word contract loosely as an illustration because we don't really understand covenants very much today in our society. So if I'm under the contract of the law, it means that, that one sin, one time of breaking the law is enough to send me to hell for all eternity. That's the law. Uh, the, the law was you keep this law and you'll experience the blessing of God. We're all way past that. None of us have kept the law. But praise the Lord, we're not under the law. We're under the contract. We're under the covenant. We're under the agreement. We're under the arrangement of grace so, so that when I, I'm trying to be transformed in the image of Christ but I still have a sinful nature and I'm still weak and there's times in my life that I give into temptation and I fail and if you've ever tried to follow Christ all of you have been there and what happens is Satan will say see you can't do this you can't do it don't be a phony don't be a hypocrite don't, don't, don't keep going to church. Don't, 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 even, don't even try it. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. You, you're, just, you're just a failure. That's what Satan will say to you. But because we're under grace, that we can understand that we may have lost the battle that day, but grace has won the war for our eternity. Because I'm under grace, I can go before God I say, God, you know what I've done today and I've sinned. And because of his grace, he forgives me and he gives me a fresh start so that I can once again pursue the image of Christ. I don't have to be defined by my past failures. I can be defined by the past victory of his grace in my life. And then I don't use that as a license to sin and say, well, I'll do what I want to because God will forgive me. That's an abuse of God's grace. That's an abuse of it. The proper use of God's grace is when you're in pursuit of Christ and you fail and you fall along the way, then you confess that to him as sin. You receive his grace. You get up and you keep going in the same direction toward Christ. Because we're not under the law. We're under Grace. So what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made like him. The process of sanctification is the process of transforming our life 
so that all the things that we used to be and used to do that are in contradiction to Christ, we just crowd them out with this new life and this new person. And when people see the change in your life, it's one of the greatest witnesses that we can have. When people see somebody who's truly been transformed, this, this is what God is calling us to. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today for the person that feels defeated by their sin. I pray today, Lord, they would accept your grace. Lord, help us to put to death everything about our lifestyle, our attitudes, our thoughts, everything that's in contradiction to who you are. Father, may we be transformed in the image of your son so that others would desire to come into your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.